By the way, today's his birthday, if you didn't know. Pastor Ryan's birthday. Happy birthday, Ryan. Um, but he was mentioning Daniel and Sarah Stelzer, who uh, are going to be the chapel's representatives, missionaries over in Central Asia. We can't even say publicly the name of the country because of security reasons. But after the service, hopefully you'll get a chance to say hi to Daniel and Sarah, who will be at the fireplace with Pastor Ryan. All right? Great. So we are in 1 John, and uh, wow. So we're only five chapters. We're at the end. And before we get into the study itself, I want to ask you to complete these statements with me. All right? In your own mind, how would you say, more than anything I want, more than anything I need, more than anything I love, more than anything I'm seeking, more than anything I'm trusting, and more than anything I find comfort in. Now, let me just back up here to the very beginning. More than anything I want, let me just go real deep. More than anything, I want a cup of coffee in the morning. More than anything, I need a cup of coffee in the morning. More than anything, I love coffee. More than anything, I'm seeking a cup of coffee just about any time. Uh, more than anything, I'm trusting a cup of coffee will get me through the day. And more than anything, I find comfort in coffee. So that's as deep as I go. How about you? Um, you know, actually, uh, I can be much more profound than that. I, I found myself, as I, as I looked at those honestly, thinking of things like um, family and um, love and approval and respect and friends. Uh, my wife, Annette, filled in one or two of those blanks. Uh, I'm sure you had some of the same answers. Um, and those are all really good things, but they were never meant to be the ultimate thing. Today in 1 John chapter 5, John, the author, once again points us to the person of Jesus Christ who alone can fill in those blanks, who alone can bring us the ultimate fulfillment we long for. So what we're going to do as we come to chapter 5 is go to the very end. I think there's about 105 verses in 1 John. We're going to look at the 105th verse, the very last sentence which is like a punctuation mark at the end of this letter. It's like an exclamation mark at the end of this letter. It's odd that he says this, but he does, and we want to figure out why and what it means. And what he writes is this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, that's in the New International Version. Typically in this room, we teach from the New Living Translation, the NLT, which says it like this. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So now we understand what an idol is. It's anything that can take God's place in my heart. And so what we want to do is to understand this idea of idolatry a little more. And we're going to do that by trying to answer three questions, which are, why is idolatry so wrong? What are the consequences of idolatry? And how do we keep ourselves from idols? So let's get at the very first question. Why is idolatry so wrong? In the original language, John writes this as a command. It's an imperative. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. As I've, as I've had conversations with people over the years who are critical of the Bible, and oftentimes, by the way, they don't really know what's in the Bible, have never really read it, but things they've heard about the Bible. The Bible is just full of commands, do this and don't do that. And there is some of that, but I'm okay with that. I'm well familiar with commands, as you are, I'm sure. My parents issued a lot of commands. As a parent, I've issued commands to 
our children, but they all come out of a place of love. Don't play in the street. You know, don't go too far out in the lake. Don't drive too fast. Don't eat too much of this or that and so on and so on. All out of a place of love. And when you look through the Bible, all of the commands that God gives us come from a place of love, from God the Father's love. Now let's take, for example, the Ten Commandments, the most famous commands in all the, the Bible. You'll find things like this. Honor your, honor your mother and father. Take a day out of the week and rest. Don't steal. <laughs> good idea. Don't murder. That's a really good idea. Uh, don't covet your neighbor's things. That's a good idea. And on and on and on. So all of these commands come from a place of love because God knows what's best for us as individuals and he knows what's best for us as a society, how a community can best work together. So we come to this command from John, keep yourself from idols. I just mentioned the Ten Commandments. Do you know the first two commands? They serve sort of as the foundation for the rest of the commands, some of which I just mentioned. This is how the first two go. You must not have any other God but me. That's the first command. Second command. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Those are the first two commands that sort of serve as a foundation, but you've noticed that it speaks of idols. Um, uh, Eric uh, Raymond, Pastor Eric Raymond, talks about idols in terms of robbery and perversion. These are, these are his words. It's robbery, idolatry is robbery, because we take what is due to God and give it to something else. And it's perversion because we give the devotion God rightly deserves to other things. That's what idolatry is. That's why idolatry is so wrong. It takes the rightful place of God. God deserves the title of our hearts, but sometimes we give it to other things. Earlier in the service, we read from Psalm 115. We noticed the caution against idols, right? But you can read through the entire Bible and read it over and over and over. Be careful of idols. Be careful of idols. Right now, I'm reading through 1 Samuel. Be careful of idols. Why is that? Because at, the, at its heart, idolatry is really about me. Back in those days, idols were made out of wood and stone and precious metals. And it was an, always an effort to leverage this lowercase g God or divine being to get it to do things for me. That's what idolatry is all about. It's about me, not about God. I've had the privilege to, to, to be at different places in the world. This morning, I checked the temperature of Yakutsk, Siberia. I was there a lot of years ago now. Minus six degrees. And uh, talk about the bad weather here. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, I remember standing at a tree with, with cloth on the trees and money attached to the twigs and different types of paper figures on the tree. And that's what they worshipped was this tree. It was an idol. In Mozambique, you can, uh, in many places in Africa, you can tra walk through villages and see little huts in the backyard, little ancestor huts where the dead ancestors lived. Right? This, this ancestor worship, it's an idol trying to leverage those ancestors to make my life better. You can go to India and see millions of different idols. Idolatry is wrong because God deserves first place in our hearts. 
we don't have, you probably don't have wood or stone or precious metal idols in your home, but we do deal with idolatry. Tim Keller, one of our favorite authors, wrote a book some years ago, a wonderful book called Counterfeit Gods. And in it, he talks about the type of idolatry we deal with in Western cultures. And I'm going to put on the screen some of them. See if you can relate to some of these. It goes like this. I have power and influence over others. Nothing wrong with having some power and some influence, but watch out for the power, the idolatry of power. Or I am loved and respected by, nothing wrong with being loved and respected. That's important. Watch out for the approval idolatry. I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of, it's nothing wrong with having control, but watch out for control idolatry. If this is one you deal with, this has been a bad year for you. <laughs> Because of COVID and, and the, the politics, this is just out of control. And we feel out of control. Um, I have a particular kind of look or body image. Nothing wrong with taking care of our body or looking good, but watch out for image idolatry. I have a highly productive and I am highly productive in getting a lot done. It's good to be industrious, but watch out for work idolatry. Last one. I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possession. Not nothing wrong with having money or things, but watch out for materialism, idolatry. We can relate to all of those. And if we're not careful, we can let those control our lives and make it all about me. And the problem with all of those, they can go away. <laughs> Anytime we worship at the altar of self, we will walk away eventually, ultimately, bitterly, Disappointment, disappointment, because God wants the title to our hearts. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the service, I'm, I'm going to uh, bring us on an adventure together. Uh, perhaps the most prevalent, pervasive form of idolatry I just mentioned is the one of materialism. We're going to do a little family church project together, and I'll explain more about that, but it's in an effort to help dislodge or displace the idol of materialism as much as we can from the throne of our own lives, all right? So we'll get back to that. So what's wrong with idolatry? Uh, it can take God's rightful place in our lives. Let's take a look at the consequences of idolatry. Whenever I um, look at 1 John, hear about 1 John, talk about 1 John, I think about something that happened in my life a number of years ago. I'll tell you the story as briefly as I can. Uh, when I was the chaplain for the Kent State football team, I would travel with the team now and then. And this time we were traveling to Miami University down in Oxford for a game. I really wanted to go on this trip because for only my sophomore year in college, I was a student at Miami. I was in business. Now you know why I didn't last there that long. But just for my sophomore year, and so I wanted to go there because that was a meaningful year. That was the year that I became a Christ follower. I became a Christian. I mean, I had heard about Jesus all my life, but never really gave my life to Christ until I was about age 20, sophomore year. As soon as the bus arrived at the stadium, I got off the bus and headed across campus to my old dorm. I hadn't been there for a number of decades and so I walked in and went up to the second floor. I wanted to see my old room, but the hallway was completely dark. All the rooms were shut except for one door. It was open. It was my old room. So I, I kind of 
edged up to the room, and I peeked inside, and there was a young man there, a student, studying, reading over by the window. I said, excuse me, uh, can I just step in here for a moment and take a look at your room? I lived here many, many years ago, and I have some memories here. So we talked a little bit, and I said, can I, can I just share with you for a moment what happened to me in this room? He looked at me truly like, I don't know if I really want to know, <laughs> but go ahead. And so I said, you know, that year when I was a student here, I became a follower of Jesus. And the desk at that time was right here, and the chair was right here. And I sat here, and for the first time in my life, I read the Bible. And I didn't go into what I read with him, but we went on to have a good spiritual conversation. But I'll tell you where I read. It was 1 John. I'd never read the Bible. I started reading 1 John, and, and the, the words from the pages just jumped out at me. Wow, this is amazing. And a couple things really caught my eye. One is that I could have a relationship with God simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's throughout the letter of 1 John. It's amazing how God loves me and wants me to be in fellowship with him simply through Christ. But the second thing that struck me, and John is clear about this throughout too, is that we can be led astray. In fact, at one point in 1 John chapter 3, I think it's verse 7, he says, be careful that you are not led astray. You can, you can too easily drift away from God. What is it that can can make us be led astray? What is it that can make us drift away from God? Idols. <laughs> Idols can make us drift away from God who wants first place in our lives. And so we have to be really careful. So John ends this whole letter with, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. But what I'm interested in right now is, is the verse that immediately precedes that, verse 20, where John writes these words, and we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Now this is kind of a reworking of what John has said throughout his letter. Let me just break it down for us a little bit. It's so worth reading. And we know that the Son of God has come, Jesus has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know that you want to have a relationship with God? It's going to happen through Jesus Christ. And now we live in fellowship with the true God. I have a relationship with God because I'm connected to Jesus. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. You don't need to go anywhere else. Now, now, when you think about this, what John has said, no wonder the very next words are keep yourselves from idols. One author helps us understand why John would end with keep yourselves from idols. He says, when we look to find our ultimate life in anything else but him, idols result. Our question, by the way, is the, what's the consequences of idolatry? The consequences are not freedom, but bondage. The result is not joy, but disappointment. And the outcome is not life as Christ intends, but a cheap imitation that only keeps us wanting more. 
So no wonder John ends with, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because God wants what's best for us. And it comes through giving him first place in our lives. And when we give ourselves to idols, whatever it may be, material idol, image idol, control idol, whatever it might be, we rob ourselves from a rich, real-life relationship, fellowship with God that comes through a vibrant walk with Jesus Christ, who alone wants the title of our hearts. So what's wrong? What are the consequences? We've answered those questions. Now, let's go on to how do we keep ourselves from idols? Uh, John Calvin was a Reformation-era theologian. He wrote these rather well-known words. He says, the human heart is an idol factory. Every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. <laughs> what that means is that it's an insidious problem. It is deep inside of us. We are like an idol factory. So how do we keep idolatry from attacking us? I'm reading a book right now by Eric Larson called The Splendid and the Vile. I actually heard President George Bush Jr. talk about this book. And it's a story of Winston Churchill in 1940 at the onset of the, the, the Battle of Britain when the Germans came and bombarded Great Britain and England and eventually London. And Winston Churchill said, you know, we can put up as many aerial defenses as we want, but the enemy is still going to find a way to get through at least a little bit. And I think about that as a Christian. You know, I, as a Christ follower, I have the Holy Spirit living within me. At the same time, I also know I have a sin nature, and I am flawed, just like you are. And so it is always going to be a battle for us against idolatry. We want God to be first place in our hearts, but how do we fight against idolatry? What can we do? I think there are a couple things that John points out. There are a number of things, but let me just categorize them into two phrases. The first one is this, to stay close to God. What do I mean by that? John begins his letter by saying, we have fellowship with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, but let's face it, we all blow it, we all mess up, we are all flawed, we all sin, and when we do, at times, it's really easy to hide. Just like Adam and Eve tried to hide from God, it's easy to hide, to try to conceal, to say, let's just lurk in the darkness here. But John says, no, God, who is light, always invites us by his grace and his love back to himself. And all we have to do is say, God, I blew it. Confess our sins. And a verse I've been to many, 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 too many times in my life, chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. And he will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Stay close to God in prayer. But also stay close to God in his word. That's so important. In the, in the gospel of John, chapter 3, chapter 4, last week we talked about false teachers. There are false teachers everywhere. People who will get you off track. God's word is meant to be interpreted in the right way. 
And we need to stay close to God's word so that we can understand how to fight idols in our lives. I was golfing recently, just a couple weeks ago. And as I was off in the woods, I was thinking, you have lots of time to think when you're looking for your ball. I was thinking, you know, golf would be a lot easier if I were just in the fairway rather than going to the left or the right. And Jesus calls us to come after him, to not go to the right, not go to the left, but to stay in the fairway. Oh, how do we do that? Staying close to his word. And that's why it's so good that we're in this room together learning God's word. That's why it's so important that you read God's word for yourself. We stay close to God through his word and through prayer. But there's something else we can do too, and it's this. Stay connected to others. Now, now as Christ followers, as Christians, we are to live as Jesus lived. That's, by the way, from John chapter 1, verse 6. Anybody who says, them, says they're a Christian should live as Christ. What did Christ do? Jesus hung out with irreligious people. We should too. We should hang out with people who don't believe like us, don't think like us, don't go to church. We should be friends with those who don't believe. But at the same time, we need each other. Repeatedly in this letter, more than anywhere else, John says, dear children, dear children, dear children, dear children. Several times he says, love one another, love one another, love one another. It's like he's writing to a family. It's like he's saying, you are a family. You're a church. Stay together. And over the years as a pastor, too many times, and maybe you've seen it too, I've seen people pull up anchor and move away from Jesus. I've seen people drift away from the faith. I've seen people be led astray. And almost invariably, it starts with becoming disconnected from other believers. We need each other. We need each other so we can learn how to receive love and give love. Receive encouragement, give encouragement. Be challenged and challenged. And know how to keep each other away from idols, which are always seeking to bring us down and displace God from his rightful place in our lives. Your family. So I mentioned this earlier. Uh, I want to close the service by uh, challenging us to do something together as a family. It's Thanksgiving season. It's the giving season upon us now. It's also a COVID crazy time, a politically polarizing time, where right now it's hard to see smiles on people's faces, literally with masks. It's hard to see smiles on people's faces. But we want to try to change that a little bit. Um, we want to do a. Uh, we want to. We want to practice some generosity. You know, one of the one of the surest ways to dislodge the the, the, the idol of materialism from our lives is by being generous. So a number of weeks ago, a very generous person from the chapel gave us a sizable gift, and said, "Do something to bless people in your community." We thought, well, we could do this as a church. We could give it to some ministries we're connected with. But let's try this instead. Let's give every family in our church a shot at blessing somebody who is in their lives. So when you leave here, each family, 
is going to receive a little gift card. I have one right here. A little gift card. This one's to Kroger's. It's only $20. It's only $20. But do you know, um, this could bless somebody in a special way. This is who it's for. This is who it's for. Maybe somebody who's in need who could use a few groceries, maybe some gas in their car or something else. But maybe you're thinking, $20, that's nothing. Okay. Why not match it? Or, or why not get together with another individual or another couple or another family or people in your small group and combine the cards together and say, let's do something. For, let's think of somebody we want to bless. Now, it may be somebody in need or maybe somebody who just you don't typically would pursue. They politi politically believe just the opposite you, as you. Or perhaps it's somebody that you really don't like a lot, but you want to bless them and show them Christ's love. Somebody that you typically wouldn't even think about giving anything to, and you're like, you know what? So I'd say pray about it and think, who could I give this to and bless them in a way and bring a smile to their face? And you don't need to, you know, make it super religious or say this is what our church is doing. We don't even mention the chapel. Uh, maybe just give them this little card you'll be given too. This is, this is what the card looks like. It just says because of God's love in this verse. You can do this if you want. You don't have to. But it's just a way to, to teach ourselves that, hey, you know, it's not just about me getting stuff. It's about giving things to people. That's one way we dislodge materialism from our lives. So think about that. You know, another cool thing is um, it's not just we who are doing this. We've invited uh, several um, partner churches in our communities. So uh, Erie Shores Church is going to be doing this along with the Port Clinton Chapel Campus. In Sandusky, we have the New Jerusalem Missionary Baptist Church doing the same thing. In Norwalk, another couple churches who are helping out as well. Just a small way to show God's love in a very practical way. So pray about it, think about it. You'll receive a card when you, when you exit here, all right? Thank you for considering that. And by the way, uh, we'd love to know what happens. And so if you would, just you can email stories at thechapel.family, stories at thechapel.family, and tell us what happened. All right, so give that some thought. With that, let, let me pray for us. God, thank you um, for this opportunity to worship you and to be reminded that you do require desire first place in our lives and require us, ask us to put you first in our lives. Would you help us to do just that? Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace, for your love, uh, for the mercy that we've received through Christ. Now help us to reflect that to people all around us out in the community. Give us wisdom as we think through who we can be generous toward. And we're grateful, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I think people are also going to dismiss you from the back. So thank you for helping out that way.